Hi, I'm Jay Robinson and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Hello and welcome to the NL Full-Time Podcast. I'm Rob Worrell and our own team is down to just two this week. Joining me from the bowels of Shropshire is our very own Dickie Wharton. Hello, Dickie. I didn't think you'd been here much, but if you described it that way, you perhaps maybe have. But uh, no, it's really good to see you, Rob, as as always. (laughs) Thankfully, though, Dickie and I do have some company today. In fact, we've got some star-studded company of not one, but just two BT, of BT Sports finest, uh, completing a hat-trick of appearances now on the pod, is Becky Ives. Hello, Becky. Oh, is it a hat-trick? You know what It is. Oh, that's fun. That was, that was a very big intro. You always give us such a big intro. I feel like you overhype and then I don't want to under-deliver here. So. <laughs> well, also joining us, and soon he's going to need two hands to count his number of appearances on the pod. It's... Uh, uh, my favourite commentator anyway. Adam Summerton. Hi, Adam. Oh, he's making me blush. <laughs> Hello, all. Welcome. Welcome both. And, uh, you know, particularly for, for, I know you guys are busy and, and for making a little bit of time for this. We're all dashing uh, off one end of the country and the other covering sport, aren't we? So it's good to get us all in the same place at the same time. Right, let's kick off this week's chat with uh, a look at the National League title race and staggeringly, uh, the top three all managed to lose on Saturday. Uh, the leaders, Stockport County, suffered just their second defeat in 21 matches at the hands of Yeovil. Um, with Tom Knowles, who's really impressed me this season, and Josh Nerfville getting the goals. Um, to get the lowdown on the game, I caught up earlier in the day with uh, BBC Somerset's Yeovil Town commentator, Sheridan Robbins. Good morning, Sheridan. And first and foremost, happy birthday. Thank you very much, Rob. Appreciate that. <laughs> We're very honoured to have you on, uh, you know, particularly on the morning of your birthday um, and, 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 and after what I'm sure was a, a good night out celebrating more than that last night. <laughs> well, absolutely, absolutely. Um, a very impressive win for my team at Yeovil Town. Um, a very Yeovil Town thing to do, you know, on a bit of a sticky run of form and top of the league come to town and and they managed to dispatch them so yeah celebrating two times over brilliant stuff so Sheridan I was with you a couple of weeks ago for the Aldershot game that was Charlie Lee's first home game in charge that one didn't go to plan there's been a a couple of draws here and there as well and and uh, what was different yesterday I think it's very much how Charlie Lee sets up his teams. We're very much a team that likes to hit on the counter. And although we were at home yesterday, unsurprisingly, Stockport had a lot of the ball. They had a lot of the chances. We were able to make sure that defensively we were strong. And that really meant that when we had those chances going forward, we were able to utilise our wings, which we didn't do against Aldershot, you know. And we had a bit more of the ball. We didn't quite know what to do with it. Didn't have our shooting boots on. And, you know, we really had three chances and we took two of them. So I think it's just the way it suits the players, the young players, no pressure on them. All the pressure was on, on Stockport. And, you know, it was a great occasion. There was a great atmosphere, over a thousand Stockport fans, which, as you know, in the National League, you don't always get that away following. Mm. So just set up for for a perfect day and, what a way for Charlie Lee to, of course, get his first win as Yeovil Town manager. And, and what an impressive win it, it was. And, and well-deserved, particularly defensively. You know, they got one back, Miles Hippolyte, haunting his former club, as they so often do. Mm. Uh, but didn't actually trouble the Yeovil defence. Grant Smith made a couple of good saves in the first half, which probably set the tone. But defensively, very, very comfortable indeed. Fantastic stuff. And uh, a quick word on Stockport as well. Um, obviously lots of positives from a Yeovil point of view. Um, just a blip along the road for Stockport, do you think, yesterday? Uh, well-oiled machine, just not quite firing? Yeah, I think so. I, I still expect them 
to win the division, particularly after the Wrexham result where they couldn't take advantage, you know, of, of Yeovil beating Stockport. There were a couple of really good chances for Paddy Madden. He headed wide, he headed over, um, he shot over, perhaps just didn't have his shooting groups, which is very, very rare. And we know mm. better than most about Paddy Madden. He fired us to the championship just seven years ago. So um, I think it was just a blip. I think they do need to think about... Um, couple of red cards that they've had in recent games, it's really affected them. Will Collar was sent off for a very high foot against Dale Gorman. And, you know, that was at 2-1 straight after the kickoff pretty much. And I think that really did affect them. Although they still managed to have a lot of the ball and sort of create chances, we were able to just take that man advantage and hit them on the counter a little bit more. So I think their discipline is something that they really need to work on. Because, of course, that's two players now for the next two matches that they they're going to miss after successive red cards in away games. And I think, you know, that's not exactly what you need when you just want to get those points on the board to, to get up in this division. We know how tough it is and you don't really want to make it any tougher. And, you know, they couldn't have any complaints about the red cards yesterday. And that's three matches without, you know, Natalie's man, Will Collar. So um, I think that's something that they really, really need to look at as they try and get over the line. Brilliant stuff. That's a tremendous account for us, uh, Sheridan, on, on the goings-on at Hewish Park on uh, Saturday. Congratulations on the win and enjoy the rest of your birthday. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That was Sheridan Robbins on a great day for Yeovil at Hewish Park. And Adam, it is two defeats in three now for Dave Challoner's men. And they've got a tough run in. It's not quite done yet, is it? No, not quite. But Wrexham didn't help themselves, did they? What a, a missed opportunity that was. But I think... You know, it's no surprise to me that Stockport are having a little bit of a wobble when you combine the fact that they've got a very difficult run in. Um, I was surprised that people were, a few Stockport fans who'd spoken to me had said that they didn't feel it was that tough. I, I thought any side would have found that running tough. And, you know, so it's proven. I think the, the combination of that, plus the fact that any side that is being chased is at some stage going to feel a bit of pressure. It doesn't really matter how good they are. and We all know how good Stockport are. I think those two factors have, have led to the situation where, you know, Wrexham have had a couple of really good opportunities now to significantly close the gap and and haven't taken them where they dropped points against Solihull and where they lost at Woking. So, you know, the pressure may be told a bit on them in those circumstances. Absolutely. Becky, will uh, take a look at the, uh, the Wrexham game in just a minute. But uh, you think it's still very much Stockport counties to lose, though? Yeah, I do, because they've still got that gap at the top of the table. Um, you know, for a period of time yesterday, it was reduced, but then obviously mm. we saw the ending of the Woking Wrexham game. So I do think it is. Look, no team, I don't think, towards this end of the run in now is going to have a hundred percent record. There are going to be highs and lows still going forward in this. So if this is Stockport's low, well, then they're getting it out of the way now, and then they're going to bounce back from this and sort of finish the season strong. I do think it is still theirs to lose. I think because the teams below them have to have a hundred percent record to catch them, to beat them. I think we've seen that. I don't think that that is going to happen. And Stockport, because they did go on such an unbelievable run and they've got that cushion, they can be a little bit more undulating up and down between now and the end of the season. And they'll still get it over the line. Whereas the other teams behind them, have to be a hundred percent win record, and that's not happening. So, yeah, for absolutely. Those reasons, I think Stockport will get the job done. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm delighted to say I picked them at the start of the season, but I tell you what, a third of the way through the season, it didn't look like you did it when they were sat in ninth and tenth place. They've obviously had that relentless run recently, which is, as you rightly say, Becky, it's allowing them to maybe drop a few points here and there, and perhaps still get over the line. Now, as Adam and Becky have both alluded to. Um, Wrexham had the opportunity to cut the lead to to four points yesterday at Woken and uh, they uh, weren't able to get uh, the job done. Um, Adam, coming to you first, you were both there, obviously. Um, Wrexham have so many attacking threats, don't they? Including, for me, the best front three in the National League in Mullin, Davies and Ollie Palmer. Um, What did Woken do yesterday to keep all that attacking prowess at bay? Well, I read some comments from Darren Saar before the game, which sound very simplistic, but were actually came out to be very true and affected that game so much when he said, if you want to play for me, you have to be able to run and you have to be able to tackle. And I thought that whilst, yes, that does sound simplistic, I felt that that was fundamental to what Woking did yesterday. I'm 
I think that they were excellent. Whilst it's easy to look at Wrexham with the opportunity that they had and focus purely on them, they didn't win that game largely because Woking in the second half were excellent. The way that they uh, put pressure on them, uh, and when Anderson came on, he his substitution paid immediate dividends, was right into the thick of the action, set up the winner. So um, they just they just didn't function to the level that perhaps they have done in recent weeks. Now, whether partly that is down to a bit of tiredness, I think that was the eighth game in a row that they'd had the same starting eleven, which brings its benefits in terms of consistency. But obviously, as well, that the players who who've played so much football. Um, without being rotated, it, it might they might feel it a little bit in the legs. You might look at it that it was their first away game since they dropped any points. They hadn't dropped points since March when they'd drawn 0-0 at Bromley. They'd won all their games since all of them at home. So whether it was just all those factors coming together and the pressure um, of, of the fact that Stockport had dropped points, um, it, it's hard to, to read really. But I, I think aside that, you know, we still can't rule anything out, but I think you've got to take that chance. If you're Wrexham, you have to take that chance. And that tells me that maybe they haven't quite got it up there to go and win the league. You know, I, I think if it's not, it, it, they had a similar opportunity when with Solly Hull as well. They didn't take that chance either. Uh, and whilst I'm not saying they won't ultimately go on and get promoted and they're a fantastic team, I think psychologically, hard, hard to take, I would have thought that they've not made the most of that yesterday. Now, Becky, you were pitch side yesterday. I think that's a, a cracking place to be. I know, obviously, you've got your job of work to do, but um, what was your take on Wrexham? Do you still think that uh, there'll be opportunities coming their way? Without a shadow of a doubt, the quality of players that they've got in their squad is second to none. Like they have, they, you know, they've, they're, their front three challenges, as you said, probably the best front three in the National League. I was, it would challenge League Two and League One for me as well, because that's where these guys have all come from. So, yeah, I think yesterday, look, it's, you know, I spoke to Phil Parkinson after the game, obviously not happy with how it went down. I think he felt a lot of decisions didn't go their way. Um, and I think... You know, sometimes when there was a lot of things that sort of weirdly, I talk about fate. <laughs> I don't know if fate really has much to do with football. <laughs> but for Woking's first goal, when well, for um, for Wrexham's first goal, the way that goal was conceded, that huge deflection that took, you did think, you know what, is the luck on Wrexham's side here? Because mm. poor Tyreek Johnson was doing all the hard graft. He was tracking back. He was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. And then McAlinda's cross came across and ricocheted off him and into the back of the net. And you're thinking, oh, Lord, talk that. Like, they don't look nervous to me. I wouldn't say that Wrexham are a team that are nervous. They just weren't quite there yesterday, but that wasn't because I don't believe that there is a nervousness around them being like, can we do this? It's interesting. I actually slightly disagree with you on the mentality side, Adam. I think Wrexham's mentality is they are a league club now, and I think they truly believe it, and I think they know they can do it, and they should do it, and they will do it. Um, So I think when they're playing, they're not nervous. I think yesterday... Obviously, you've got a new, slight new manager bounce with Daryl Saar coming in. They got the first goal. And then it just, it, it was right at the stroke of half time, which actually probably benefited Woking because it allowed them to go in, reset, regroup. And I don't know, it just felt like once they'd got the equaliser, you know how sometimes it just can suck the life out of a team and inject it into another team? It was almost like this switch and you just felt you know, on the touchline, there was a little bit more pacing up and down from sort of the Wrexham side. And Daryl Saul was sort of hey, getting everybody up a little bit. And just the balance swung in their favour, I'd say, in that second half. Who doesn't love a last minute winner like that? Pandemonium inside yeah. the grounds. And yeah, it was, it, was, it was great to be down there and sort of see how the balance swung pitch side of the managers and their attitudes and what was happening. I don't doubt the mentality is that they will be a football league club and I, I don't doubt that they could well achieve that this season, even if it isn't as, as champions. I doubt whether they think they can top Stockport. I, I doubt whether they think they can win the league. I have no doubt whatsoever that Wrexham mm. Will be a football league club and will be a football league club if not this season, then probably next season. I, I just think it's just this title race, this head to head, if you like. I'm not so sure that 
I'm not when you've had two golden opportunities like that and you've taken neither in a title race as close as this. I, that's why I would ask questions of them up top, really. But in terms of the club going forward, I, I think that there's yeah, they're they're gonna they're, they're the type of they're the size of club that if they go at once, similar to Stockport actually, if they go at once, there's every chance they'll go up again. Um, yeah, and maybe even again, ultimately in time, it might take a bit longer, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them get back to the second tier eventually. Yeah, absolutely. I think better times probably ahead for Woking under Darren Sile. Um, third place, Halifax couldn't quite make up any ground either. They lost 1-0 to a Kenny Clark goal uh, at Southend. Adam, that's a, a terrific clean sheet for Southend, isn't it? Um, keeping the likes of Billy Waters, Matty Warburton and, and, and Jordan Slew out. I think that the, the job that I remember when every all the appointments off the pitch were made, you know, the new managerial team, if I can put it like that, with people like John Still and, and Stan Collymore. And, you know, it was basically four big personalities came into the club on the manager in a very short space of time. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm not so sure you know, about this. I think it could be too too many egos, you know, you'd have to say that was wrong because the, whilst, you know, it's going to be a mid-table finish for Southend, back when that appointment was made, a lot of people thought they were going down again. Obviously, they've steadied the ship. They've given themselves some solid foundations now. and Let's see what they can build on it because they've got a fantastic supporter base. Uh, they've seemingly got the right people in the right positions off the pitch. So there's a, a lot in place there for them to kick on next season now. Now, Solihull Moors were the highest placed team to win on Saturday and I saw them do it. They put uh, Aldershot to the sword 2-1. Uh, goals from the highly impressive uh, Danny Newton. Uh, Lewis Kinsella replying very late on for the shots. Uh, and after the game, I caught up with the, ma- uh, the Moors man of the match on the day, Jamie Osborne. I've been joined by uh, one of Solihull's own, I think we can say. Um, Solihull born, Jamie Osborne. Jamie, obviously second stint at the club. Um, you know, over 100 appearances this time round now. How pleasing is it to see your hometown club um, flying high in the National League? Uh, look, it's, it's great. Obviously, I've been at this club since uh, they've gone full-time and the way the club has come on, on and off the pitch as well is, is unbelievable and it's just uh, it's just kind of getting over that line now and hopefully coming at a football league club next year. But for me, obviously, me being from Solihull as well, it's it's great for me because I'm right in the corner and there's a lot of local people who are see on a daily basis who, who support Solihull more. So, yeah, it's, it's great for me and it's great for the area. I have to back Jamie up as well. I, I, I've visited in each of the fast, last four seasons with, with Aldershot Town and each time I've come back, the place has improved. Of course, 2016, going back a little while, you you, you got your own personal chance in football league with Grimsby. That sadly was cut short by a nasty knee injury, wasn't it? Um, it'd mean a lot, I'm sure, to get back there, but with Solihull. Um, yeah, definitely. Obviously, uh, at the time when I was at Solihull, then just before my stint at Grimsby, um, the club was, was, was still part time. Um, obviously, me at that, that age, I obviously I wanted to give a, a good go at f- full time football, so I did that with Grimsby. And look, the, the fans were great with me. The club was great with me. Um, I was there for for 12 months, but uh, like you say, I had a bad knee injury, which which put me out for three to four months. And um, obviously, then I uh, heard the call from Solihull. Uh, about them going full time, it was great ambitions, and it, it was kind of hard to turn down at the time. And I wasn't, um, I wasn't at the time in Russia Slade's plans. So uh, yeah, obviously it was, it was a no-brainer to for me to jump, jump back to Solihull. And uh, obviously at the at the time we was 13 points in the relegation zone in National League, and everyone was questioning me why would I do that because they could potentially go in the, in the Conference North. But uh, look, obviously I took that risk, and uh, I'd like to say it's kind of paid off now. And over the last three or four years, we've we've had a good go in this league, and. I think it's only a matter of time, hopefully, before we get uh, promoted into the Football League. I remember when I first saw you playing here, whatever it was, four or five seasons ago, you were standout player, one of the best players in the side now, and in a complimentary way to the club. Um, it's a team now, isn't it? It's a team full of decent players, and uh, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're punching still as a club, but um, you're punching uh, from a lot of different directions right now. Um, yeah, definitely. Look, we've got we've got a great bunch here. We've got um, a lot of young players who who have played in the football league as well, like the Joey Sparrows, uh, the Andrew Dallas, who had good good stints at uh, Glasgow as well. Obviously, come through there. Ryan Barnett, um, 
Callum Maycock, the, the, the good young players, and yeah, we've got great players um, who, who have come to the party here and they're enjoying the football, and you can kind of see that on the pitch. They're, they're playing, they're playing regularly. And obviously, when we're winning a lot of games, especially this season, we're up there in the league. They're even going to enjoy, enjoy it even more. And I think you can see then the mix of experienced players like myself, the Cole Stories, the Alex Goodrich, Callum Howes, Maynards, Rooney. So we've got a great mix here, and I think that's why we are where we are. Like you say, you kind of punch above our weight a little bit because there's some big teams in this league. And paying a lot of money but um, it just shows what kind of togetherness and what, what kind of players we've got here who have come to the party and, and doing it weekly I want to ask you about a couple of people if I can Joe Sabara um, who was outstanding today like yourself um, you know got his got his goal again 16 for the season I think um, and he's everywhere isn't he he's literally everywhere um, and, and also your manager Neil Arley who's who's managed two very, very different clubs in Notts County and Solihull. Yeah, um, going to Joe Sabaro, look, he, he came on loan here, I think, four years ago when he was a young kid at Burton Algen and he wanted uh, to experience adult football and at the time, I kind of took him under my wing a little bit um, and I looked after him, obviously he hadn't been out of Burton at the time, so he's, he's one kid, I, I knew he had great potential, he had great ability and it's just, just making sure that he played regularly, he didn't always get that at Burton Algen and he got offered a, a new deal there, but he was kind of looking elsewhere to see see where we could go and play regularly. And me, me being me and Joe being him, like we still kept in touch. And look, I, I'd like to say I kind of persuade him to come to Solihull in the end. Um, at the time, we had Jimmy Shannon, who obviously it was um, come from kind of under 23s football, so we know what we know what kind of football he wanted to play, and we knew that would have suited would have suited Joe Savar and. That was, I think, another thing that helped me get uh, Joe Sparrow at the football club. And obviously now we've got um, a new manager from the start of the season, Neil Ardley. And again, he's, he's, he's a football-based manager. We play it from the back at times and he's experienced at this level even higher. And it, it can, there's no surprise that we're up there with, um, with a player like Joe Sparrow and a manager like Neil Ardley. So um, look, it's great to have them at this club. And I'd say hopefully that can get us into the football league. A lot of the time previously, people would have looked at maybe your goals and assists. But what I noticed today was... My goodness me, you're you're so much further back on the pitch, aren't you? You're literally pulling the strings from right in front of your back uh, centre halves today. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I've, I'm in a slightly different role to what I have been over well throughout my career, really. But um, it's what the gaffer wants me to do. He, he likes me dropping deep and getting on the ball and and, and starting things off a, a little bit deep. And when there's players like Joe Sabara, the Callum Maycox, Barney, players in front of me like that, I, I don't I know they're comfortable with the ball. So and also Ryan Boot behind me, who's comfortable giving me and t- taking and obviously I, I will take risks at times whether it's I'm in my own area or whatever as long as we're contributing winning games and I'm, I'm helping the team I'm, I'm more than happy to play there Obviously the target right now is to cement that position in the playoffs but uh, when you come off the back of a win against Aldershot today and you see that Halifax have slipped up away from home um, is the target now to try and home in on that third place if you can it, it eliminates a whole game if you can get there um, yeah, definitely. Um, there's one thing for sure, though. We have to concentrate on ourselves, and we've still got four tough games to play. Um, I'm sure Halifax have as well. So it's about looking after ourselves first. And look, if we get three points, and Halifax or the Wrexham's drop points, great, happy days. And obviously our aim is still to, just to put pressure on them. And I think we've done that today with um, with them losing and us winning. So hopefully we can continue that and maybe get there come the end of the season to be in the top three and get that home tie in the semi final. Brilliant stuff. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for your time uh, and continued success with Solihull. That was uh, Jamie Osborne and uh, Dickie. Um, they're probably a little bit too far off to uh, challenge for the title now, but Moore's are really purring, aren't they, under Neil Artley? Just uh, one defeat in 18 now. That's a fantastic run. Uh, and they're just two points behind third place, uh, Halifax. They'll be gunning for that third place slot, won't they? I was going to say, I think that third place is, is what they want to be aiming for now, you know, given Halifax slipped up a bit yesterday um, in losing at Southend and, and Solihull closed the gap on them. I think it's two games left um, and, and with a gap at two, it is doable. Um, and when you think of, you know, the home advantage in the playoffs that, that that gives you, plus, you know, you actually get to miss out on the first round of uh, the, the elimination round of the playoffs and, and get yourself perhaps an additional week's rest if there are players at this stage of the season just got little niggles it just gives them a chance to rest them it's uh, you know you you've got to try and get into that third place if you can and, and yeah Solly had had a little bit of a not exactly a wobble last weekend I don't think um losing at Stockport County particularly 
you know, in the 90th minute is is a wobble as such. Um, but yeah, they got straight back on the horse. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see if they can take that third place. I just um, touched on it with Jamie Osborne and, and, and in my sort of headline of the game, but I just got so much respect for Joe Sabara. 16 goals for the season. It's not just... He's probably one of, if not the, the most diminutive player in the National League. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't come into it because he's got such intelligent movement and an ability to pick. So, uh, um, and thank you very much to uh, Luke, the media chap at, um, at Solihull Moors, who very kindly, after a really long wait, did apparently turn up with Joseph Farah for me in the end. But I was already up in the bar watching uh, Woken against Wrexham and uh, chatting away. If you catch this, Joe, sorry. Hopefully we'll catch up with you again in the playoffs. Now, the teams in fifth, sixth and seventh place all won. And whilst Dagenham just outside the playoffs, they could only pick up a point. We'll cover that in a little bit more detail later. But it's starting to look as though the teams that are in position might well be looking to hold those places. And and the, the swarm of clubs that were coming up behind them uh, are, are really starting to fall away now. Chesterfield needed two ten minutes to defeat a defiant Dover. Um, Sido Khan with a double there. Grimsby. Pretty much ended Torquay's faint playoff hopes with a, a Tristan Abraham penalty in stoppage time. Late drama there at uh, Blundell Park. And Carl Wooten and Ruben Rodriguez were once again on the score sheet for Notts County as they all but condemned Weymouth to uh, National League South with a 3-1 win. It's not quite mathematically done for Weymouth. As we assess the, the chances of the, um, the clubs likely to be in the playoffs, Becky, I think you've seen a little bit of Chesterfield and Adam too as well. But uh, Becky, your thoughts on on Chesterfield. Um, can they come again after all the turbulence this season? Yeah, it's been a massive season for them, hasn't it? And it's sort of swinging back and forth and what looked stable. You're suddenly not too sure actually what there would be. But look, you could look at this two ways. It depends on your point of view. In actual fact, you could come in and say, oh, it's all gone wrong for Chesterfield. They're not as good as they were. They were top of the league and their top scorer broke their leg. Or you could look at it and come in and be like, do you know what? Paul Cook's kept them at the top of the table when actually it totally could have fallen away and it hasn't. They have been a little bit more inconsistent as of late, but I think they did enough in that first part of the season to definitely keep them in the playoffs. Good stuff. Um, and, and I saw Grimsby a few weeks ago. Uh, they look strong to make the playoffs. Um, will they go the extra yards? I'm not sure, to be honest. I've not seen enough. I think they'll need some special moments from the likes of John McAtee. But Notts County are really purring, Adam, aren't they? And um, in Carl Wooten and Ruben Rodriguez, you've got a really efficient number nine and somebody who can come up with stuff just a little bit different, a little bit special. Yeah, they have. If you look at their team, I'd say that they've got factor in their side in, in the division. You could certainly make a case for that anyway, with people like Rodriguez um, and Callum Roberts. Roberts. Yeah, Callum Roberts, we could mention as well. And Brunt, it's, Brunt surprised me the way that I know he's only played 10 times for them, but when I when he signed them, I, I thought it, it should be illegal to have all three of them in the same in the same National League team. They're that good. Uh, but it hasn't worked out for him yet. Yeah, there's still time yet left in the season, I guess, for that to change. It, I would have a quick, big question mark over discuss this quite a bit. I think they should be doing better than they are. When I look at their squad, I look at the the quality that they have available to them. I don't think it's pushing it. You know, if you look at their squad on paper, it should be challenging for the title. And the reality is that they're, they're, they're nowhere near it. Um, and I think if they don't get promoted via the playoffs, which is, you know, their third chance at it, if you like. I think there'll be big questions asked as to why they they weren't right in the title race right to the end because they've got good enough players. But that said, in the playoffs, and a big factor here is where they finish in, in the top seven in terms of what the challenge is in the playoffs. But they are good enough on their day to beat anybody in, in this league. And a lot of that is down to that X factor that I mentioned. So they will be a serious threat to anybody in the playoffs. And I would include whichever one of Wrexham and Stockport doesn't win the league in that. At the other end of the National League table, we've already talked about another defeat for Aldershot at Solihull. They're not quite safe yet, but can uh, probably feel a whole lot safer 
following Kings Lynn's draw against uh, an informed Dagenham and Redbridge. Um, I've got to tell you, beats towards the end of full time yesterday. All the shot looked like they were going to slip to defeat. Then Kinsella got a goal back, and you just wondered if we might snatch a point. We heard that um, Dagenham had finally equalised against uh, Kings Lynn, and then it was ruled out. Uh, and just as you were thinking, oh no, you know, the gap's down to five points again, Paul McCallum uh, equalised late on for Dagenham against Kings Lynn, and that would have been an absolute. Forgive the pun, dagger blows Lynn, um, you know, who, who, who took the lead in the 12th minute, Josh Coulson, giving the Lynn its hope. You've got to give credit to Kings Lynn. Uh, it's, uh, you know, they have had some momentum lately. They've started to pick up a, a few points, but I think it was, it's probably just too little too late. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think if you look at their games as well, they've played 41 games and the teams around them have still got two games in hand. So... I don't think, yeah. I mean, it's horrible, isn't it? This end of relegation and everything like that. But I do probably think it's a stretch beyond them. Adam, what do you think? Well, I think that they've given, made more of a fist of the fight than do. And that's not, I'm not saying that as um, casting aspersions on, on the character of the players. It's just the quality factor. Um, I look at, whilst what's happening in the National League right now with all this investment, the big ex-football league clubs, you know, we talk about that, we eulogise about that, we say how good it is, and it is, and it makes it, you know, it's making for a really good league, particularly in terms of the promotion race. What I would say is that the gap between the haves and the have-nots is getting bigger and bigger, and 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 this is, you know, an example of it. It's very difficult, and Weymouth, and Do- well, obviously Dover's a different case this season, but it's so difficult for them to pick up points because, it, you know, we'd be lying if we sat here and said there isn't a massive gulf in quality. Becky said it earlier, you've got League One and League Two players coming up against sides where teams like Kings Lynn, because of their budget, they're recruiting from the sixth tier, maybe, or even further below. That's where they've got to try and identify players. So it's really difficult for them. But I think, you know, they've, they've, they've had a really good go at it and they deserve a lot of praise for that. Yeah, I second that, definitely. That was really well said. So I what you said there, Adam, about the gulf between the top half of the National League and the bottom half of the National League now. And that is something, unless you are a full-time club in the National League now, you haven't got a chance of even so you know, yeah. getting and anywhere near anything near the top. No. So, yeah, it's, it's as much as it's great that the National League has all this investment, we've got these incredible stories. We've got to be careful. The gap between the National League North and South doesn't grow too far that it becomes unattainable. Um, we should probably mention at this point that two more pretty big clubs are coming down, confirmed now. We mentioned uh, Scunthorpe last week and Oldham's relegation was confirmed on Saturday. Quite incredible story, really, and not, not, not one that Oldham fans will have enjoyed, of course, but uh, the first club ever to fall all the way from the Premier League uh, down to non-league. I was just, just going to say, Rob, I think the other factor here that, that is part of this ever-increasing problem is that partly this is created by the bottleneck because there isn't two automatic promotion places as well. So it's clear to me that there are there are problems coming down the road as a result of teams who might overstretch themselves at the lower end of the National League, teams who might be mid-table or below mid-table who might think, no, you know, if we spend a bit of money, we could have a go. And for me, I can see this coming. It's quite obvious what's coming. And the competition level in the league is being affected. I feel like people are sleeping at the wheel with this a little bit and, and, and it needs to change, particularly as well as I've said that why is there not more pressure being put on the EFL to, to make to, to, to be part of a decision or a you know, ruling to say that there should be two automatic promotion places because you, you, you've got all these ex-football league clubs who are, who are getting stuck effectively in the fifth tier and see the way to get out is to just spend as much money as they possibly can. Both issues, for me, they feed into each other. I'm surprised not more is being done to sort them out, really. It's a really, really good point, Adam, uh, and, and very constructively made as well. And, and I, I think a lot of people just stop that discussion when they go, well, turkeys aren't going to vote for Christmas, but it's got to be more than that. And I think the EFL uh, probably need to initiate that now. They need to look at that and, and, and they need to see that... Um, that it's not going to be good for the long term of the game in this country if, if, if they don't actually increase the uh, second automatic Absolutely. promotion. Uh, three other games in the National League, the highest scoring one of which was uh, 
at uh, Moss Lane as uh, Altrincham beat Wheelstone 4-2. We won't dwell on that one too much. There was a double for Matty Cosilo. Just my cap is doffed to you guys, Altrincham and Wheelstone. Very comfortably mid-table, small clubs. You've held your own in the National League brilliantly again this season. Uh, Barnet won 3-2 at Eastleigh in a bit of a ding-dong of a match. Um, a late red card for Reese Grego, uh, a bit of a high foot. That was the case in a couple of the games on uh, Saturday. Uh, and an even later winner for young 20-year-old Ryan de Havilland. And finally, and it's very often, very rare that we've done that this season, but finally we mentioned Boreham Wood, uh, who've become a dark horse now. Um, they're in ninth. They are eight points outside the playoffs. You never would have believed they could have dropped that low. They do have those two games in hand, but what they did do, they arrested the slide on Saturday. They won for the first time in 10 or 11 games, I think, in the National League. It was normal service for them uh, resumed. Scott Bowden and Tyrone Marsh with the goals. And ironically, the side they beat was another out-of-form side that's dropped out of the playoffs in Bromley. I'll see Bromley on Tuesday night and see Notts County on, on Saturday. Uh, but just a quick word, if anybody wants to, uh, about those two sides. And, and I guess particularly Boreham Wood, because Luke Garrard needs six runs. He needs minimum five wins out of six, possibly six to have any chance. It would seem so unfair, wouldn't it, really, the season that they've had? I mean, it's not that long ago that I can remember Adam and I saying on air that if they'd won all their games in hand, they would have been top of the table. And that that isn't actually that long ago at all. So it shows how quickly things have fallen away. It's still been a magnificent season with what they've achieved in the FA Cup. They punch above their weight, you know, the second lowest average gate in the league. Um, So they'll always have the cup run the trip to Goodison Park. But what's most important to them is obviously is, is a tilt at promotion. It's not impossible um, big game at Edgeley Park coming up on Saturday, which is live on BT Sports uh, against Stockport. So there's pl- there's plenty of narrative already for us there, isn't it, with those two clubs involved? But uh, I wouldn't quite rule them out just yet. You know that they, they they are capable with the side that they've got, good players. Yeah, I wonder what their mentality is. I haven't been around them. I I I, I haven't sort of got a vibe of it really. I wonder if they're shocked at the free fall that happened after the FA Cup. And they've sort of been scrabbling around and trying to figure out how to fix the problem. Um, so obviously they will take something from yesterday's result, definitely. But you know, it's one of those things. I don't know if if if, if they're in a mentality of like, oh yeah, this is actually all a bit shocking. I'm not sure how we've ended up down here. In which case, I feel like I've come full circle on this pod now. I don't think anybody is going to win 100% of their games between now and the end of the season. And that's what effectively they have to do. No, you're absolutely right. Um, to speak to Luke Garrard a couple of weeks ago, and he said he's clocked up 350 games now. Often he can see it, but it's 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 one thing seeing it and another thing implementing it. I think, you know, trying to get through to the mentality of footballers. Um, I think it might just suit them again right now. It's only a clutch of a chance, but it might just suit Boreham Wood again now. Now that dogs again now. Um, just and. Just, just a quick one on Luke yeah. Garrard you mentioned there. Yeah. I wonder whether he'll have a big decision to make this summer because, you know, surely there will be EFL clubs looking at him now and saying, you know, is this the time now finally for you to to make that step up? Yeah, um, it's a really good question because I think I think and I think if I'm honest, he deserves that opportunity as well. Yeah, but I think I understand that you know he lives the dream as obviously Danny Hunter does and everybody at Boreham Wood that they kind of do the impossible uh, seemingly and, and, and get up to the Football League. And uh, you do wonder if, 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 as a club, they're coming towards the end of that cycle. Um, and it will be some, some, some tough thinking for Luke Garrard to do, particularly if, if the bigger clubs do come knocking. Guys, you've been amazing. So I've got to thank you both very, very much indeed for joining us. Um, and uh, I might just message you actually in the interim and get your firm predictions for the playoffs and who's going to uh, because <laughs> Adam, well, we you were, were quite good team. at this though last year we were quite good you, you, you were the right. two <laughs> we did this, we got the bragging this, right this is why you got the invite back guys no <laughs> but um, yeah we'll we'll send a little message round and we'll have a little pundits uh, pop at it who's going to come through the playoffs anyway probably not such a big open race for the title now but. Um, starting with uh, you Becky thank you very much for joining us again no thanks thanks guys really appreciate it always good to see you 
Thanks Great for the invite. Stuff. Right, we're going to take a look now at the National League South. How does it feel when you stop smoking? Brilliant. I finally quit. It feels good. I was so proud of myself. I can keep up with my kids now. I feel a lot richer. I just feel fitter and healthier. I feel like I've got my life back. It's an amazing feeling when you stop smoking and you can experience it for yourself. Our range of free support can help you quit for good from our app to emails, face-to-face support and online communities. Search Smoke Free. Better health. Let's do this. So if uh, the, the big boys in the National League at the top end are getting a little bit nervy and the top three all lost on Saturday, not so the case in the National League South where all of the uh, top four sides won. Um, and uh, that's Maidstone, Dorking, Ebbsfleet and Dartford as the table lies. Uh, Maidstone have got a four-point lead uh, and Dorking have a, a nine-point lead over Ebbsfleet and Ebbsfleet have a one-point lead over Dartford and then there's a a four point sorry a six point gap from Dartford down to Oxford City so let's break it down then the title race Dickey Maidstone in pole position um they've uh, got a four point lead and they're just pretty relentless right now uh they got the job done convincingly 4-0 away at Hemel Hempstead yeah they did and if you you've had a look I've just got to look at Maidstone's run in here as well it it, it, it it feels like it's probably theirs to lose now. Um, they've got two home games left with um, Chelmsford and Hampton and Richmond, and then they have to travel to Welling. Now, obviously, Welling are, are in need of the points because they're at the bottom of the table in the relegation fight as well. But given the form of the, of the sides, you wouldn't expect anything other than Maidstone victory there. I mean, they came away with a, a 4-0 win yesterday at Hamill Hempstead's two goals for Sam Corn, Jack Barham on target and Jerome Benham Williams as well. Yeah, good stuff. Jack Barham seems to score every single week, doesn't he? Um, uh, well, the only, the only dent that Dorking were able to put on Maidstone's uh, title claims yesterday was... Uh, uh, just a one goal, one in the goal difference, really. But they did the bit. They uh, they scored seven. Uh, there was four goals for Alfie Rutherford, uh, Pryor, Cheadle and uh, Oldacre all scored as well. Concord for who uh, Babalola and Blanchfield uh, replies. Um, can't really do any more than win 7-2 at home, can they? Um, it seemed like they were in control of it for so long this season, didn't they, Mark White's men? But uh, And they then went and beat Maidstone as well, didn't they? But um, it was the immediate aftermath of that. And I know they've been, uh, if Mark was here now, he, he, he'd be citing the mitigating factors, wouldn't he? And they have had all sorts of things go against them this season. Talking do it the hard way through the playoffs. It's looking that way now. I mean, they're certainly locked into the top two. They're not going to finish um, any lower than second. Um, looking at the table, but it does look as if they are going to have to content themselves with second because uh, it's difficult to see Maidson slipping up from that position. I and mean, we mentioned, um, you know, the injury problems in key positions as well. I mean, Pryor missed uh, a number of games. Who's going to be a big miss for them? Um, I suppose probably the only disappointment for them, yeah, yesterday is having gone six and a look by the hour mark that they didn't keep a clean sheet, knowing managers that they, they like a clean sheet to go with a few goals at the other end as well. But a couple of goals for Concord to give them something to, to, to look back on with, with some, um, I wouldn't even say pleasure in the day. There's no real pleasure in losing 7-2. But um, yeah, if we look at it as a tune-up for the, for the, for the playoffs, then, then Dorking are looking good for that. Now, obviously, we can't predict who's going to finish where. I mean, just a moment. If, if those two sides keep winning, then, then Dorkin may have to do it through the playoffs. And uh, they'd, of course, in second place, they'd have one home game to get through to the final. And I've got to express my personal disappointment here, and we may see this differently, Dickie, but um, you received confirmation during the week of the, uh, uh, the playoff eliminators and semi-final dates in the uh, National League North and South. Uh, there was quite rightly um, initially uh, some respect, some concern that, that from the National League North or South might make the FA Trophy final, in which case it, it wouldn't have worked. But what I now understand is let's just take this scenario. If Dorking finish second, they'll have a home semi final on, uh, is it Sunday the uh, 15th of. Um, have I got the right date there? Yeah, as I understand it, then the, the elimination. Yeah. 
um, games that precede that. Obviously, they wouldn't be involved if they finished second or third. The elimination games would be in the midweek immediately following the end of the season. You'd be looking at semi-finals on the following Sunday, as I understand it. And then we're talking now about the North and South playoff finals, both being on um, the Saturday, the day before the FA Trophy final, so the 21st. That's right. Yeah, beg your pardon. That's it. Yeah, so uh, unfortunately what that means is the National League North and South semi-finals, listeners, are going to be on the same day as a full set of fixtures, the last full set of fixtures in the National League. All sorts of consideration was given to all sorts of uh, matters, but you could have, you know, uh, one team winning the National League in in, in one part of the country and, and, and in other, other places. I mean, for those within the National League, um, the likes of uh, uh, Tom Scott and uh, Sam that we know and we see are all around the country. I they're going to have to split themselves very far, aren't they? But uh, um, I, I'm just personally a little bit niggled because I, I really, as twice now, I've had all, I've had um, I've had tentative plans to go and watch uh, Dorking play at Meadowbank. I, 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 you know, I'm really, really keen. I've followed their story. Um, and I think they get a magnificent atmosphere there. And of course, they'll still be hoping they can win the title. But I would have loved to have been at that semi-final and can't. And um, I'll have to shut up here about it. But uh, uh, it is what it is. I guess in terms of the season's culmination, it works out a little bit better. Finished a, a reasonable time, Dickie. Yeah, I think so. It's a bit of a shame, like you say, that, that semi-finals in North and South are potentially, well, they are taking place on on the last mm day of uh of national league fixtures which um takes you know a little bit of the attention off and when you'd hope that the playoffs would be sort of like, like getting the focus i think probably the complicating factor this year is the, the different numbers of teams in each of the divisions i mean we've had 23 teams in the national league uh 22 in the north and only 21 in the south this season so there's not been quite able to correspond the calendars so that they you know you've got the equal number of games on seasons finishing on the same day it won't be that way next season we're going to 24 teams in each division so that adjustment to the calendar should happen next year but yeah it it is a little bit of a disappointment all right well just below uh well quite a long way below the top two in the national league south at ebbs fleet who just uh, held on to third place thanks to a what must have been a bit of a nervy 1-0 win at Tunbridge. They scored the goal in the sixth minute. Shaquille Coolhurst, the former Barnet striker, with the goal. But they weren't able to add to it. So that would have been nervy getting across the finish line of there. And, and obviously they can't afford to slip up because that is uh, third place is also one home semi-final to get through to the final. And that's that will be, of course, the target of Steve King's Dartford, who uh, went about their business. Well, we talk about Marcus Denanga almost every week now, Dickie, so we'll we'll spare you that one. But what about the other goal scorer in that game? Both goals coming from Kieran Murta. Yeah, um, some of them are surprised. I mean, you know, Kieran Murta is a player who's been um, around for a long time, um, but uh, and you know, vastly experienced now, thirty-three, um, I think he is, and and. <clears throat> having his presence there is, you know, a big bonus for Dartford at this stage of the season with, you know, the, the, the experience he can bring to Steve King's side. Yeah, they made it slightly more comfortable um, than Ebsley, you know, a, a goal in the sixth minute and then having to, I wouldn't say hold on to that lead, but when, but you're looking for the cushion of a second goal. It's an awful long time to hold on to a one-goal lead. But, you know, ultimately, however side, however way either side went about it they, they got what they needed to do is they both got the job done they both got three points born a sixth they were the odd team out on Saturday they didn't play and Havert and Waterlooville are seventh but only by virtue of a 90th minute equaliser down at Welling United who uh, had led 2-1 they come from behind to to, to, to lead 2-1 in that game and uh, yeah um, Havert and Waterville Louisville they, they would have breathed a sigh of relief Dickie but as for that would have been a crushing blow. Yeah, I mean, that, that point for Haven it just puts them one point ahead of Chippenham in eighth place, so kept them in the playoff positions. But yeah, it could have been um, so much worse for them and it could have been an awful lot better for Welling, couldn't it? Welling have a two-point gap over Billy Ricky at the bottom, but that could have been a four-point gap um, had they managed to hold on to that lead yesterday. 
Yeah, it would have been huge. It would have been gone a long way to uh, to, to, to burying Villaricky, who took against Bath City but couldn't hold on. Michael Chambers giving them the first half lead, but Alex Fletcher um, soon responded and Cody Cook uh, tucked away a penalty in the second half to secure all three points for Bath. Just looking uh, outside the uh, the playoff positions in the National League South, St Albans, uh, for whom Sean Jeffers did score uh, the consolation goal in that defeat we just referred to earlier. Chippenham, what a remarkable story, really. Just one point outside uh, playoffs, and uh, I haven't got them in front of me, but I wouldn't mind betting just out of habit, two or three of us five on this podcast would have tipped Chippenham to go down again this season, but that ain't happening, is it, Dickie? <laughs> it's absolutely not happening, no. And, and you know, I, our reasons for doing that, whether it's just based on, you know, location and 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 perceived size of the club um if that's the case then then Chipman is certainly pulching above their weight this season and and having got to this stage and, and with no you know disrespect to to haven't Waterlooville ahead of them it would it appeals to the romantic in you to have Chippenham make that final playoff spot really um as i say that that's not because we wish uh, any ill will toward haven't Waterlooville whatsoever but you know given the respective um, budgets of the sides, uh, we, you know, I've not seen the actual budgets, but I think we all we can all look at this sensibly enough to know that having water levels would be much bigger. It'd be an absolutely fantastic achievement if they could get there. And uh, uh, the the two 0 victory that they got over Dulwich Hamlet was also crucial in uh, keeping Dulwich Hamlet at bay. And it does look now with Dulwich Hamlet dropping to tenth place, uh, five points off the playoffs. It's starting to look increasingly. Uh, unlikely that they will make them. Uh, and I think it was a big year for them this year to try and do so. Sitting just behind Dulwich and Richmond, who uh, pulled off a 2-0 win against uh, uh, Hungerford Town on uh, Saturday. Uh, both goals coming from the penalty spot. Both goals coming up from, uh, well, I don't know, it's one of those weird spelt names, but I think you probably still pronounce it Rory, do you? Rory Donaldson? Yeah, that's it. Tell us, put us out of our, put us out of our misery, Tom. <laughs> um, Dan Bailey got sent off late on for Hungerford, but it didn't make any difference to the score line there. Uh, and just looking over the remaining game, National League South, I think we skirted over Oxford City, didn't we? They drew one all at home to Braintree. A Joe Iacofono penalty on ninety plus five got them that point and kept up their playoff hopes. Apologies, Oxford, for missing you out earlier on. Gianni Critchlow. Uh, I'd put Braintree in the lead prior to that. Braintree, we've mentioned a few times in recent weeks, probably done enough in that recent good run um, to uh, get themselves to safety. And that just about uh, for the National League South. Now, in the National League North, we've got our intrepid reporter, Dickie Wharton here, been champing at the bit, waiting for the best part of an hour now to get in and, uh, and tell us what happened. Where are you going to headline in the National League North for Saturday, Dickie? Uh, it has to be, we have to begin with the top two and, and the games that affected the top two. I mean, it, it, looking at the Easter weekend, it did look as if Gates had, had struck or landed a, a potentially a couple of decisive blows on, on Brackley Town in, in winning their matches while Brackley drew nil-nil with Leamington and then had a stumble one um, nil at home on Easter Monday to, to Boston. That had opened up a four-point gap and you think, is that is that going to be enough now? Well, it might not be because the gap closed to two points again yesterday. Uh, Kettering Town managed to take a point off Gateshead with a 1-1 draw uh, at Latimer Park. And Brackley had a, a, an impressive 2-0 win away at Darlington into the bargain. It was a, a goal for Connor Johnson, put Kettering ahead against Gateshead. But it was another Connor, Connor Malley, who levelled. He's on loan from Middlesbrough. He, he brought the scores level just before half-time. Um, but they couldn't do any more. And, and Gateshead had to be content with just one. Um, Brackley went to Darlington. Darlington had been the team that inflicted Brackley's first defeat of the season on them way back in the autumn, a 3-1 win at St. James Park when James Armson was dismissed for, for Brackley, but he, he managed to extract something of revenge yesterday. He added the second goal from the penalty spot in the 78th minute after Leon Love had broken the deadlock just six minutes earlier. It's a 27th clean sheet in 39 matches for Brackley. 13 of those 
away from home. Um, and another nice little footnote for them yesterday it was a 650th career game for Brackley captain Gareth Dean as well. So a very satisfying day for Brackley. Um, they've still got some ground to make up, but with three games still to play in the gap at two, you can't say it's all over yet. Uh, is it Kevin Wilkin, the manager at Brackley? That's right, it is. Yeah, he, he, he's got certain players that he really believes in and sticks with, doesn't he? I mean, off the top of my head, the two goal scorers, Leon Love and uh, uh, James Armisen, uh, both, you know, all those three players you mentioned were playing when I watched them in the playoff semi-finals three or four years ago and they're still there. Yeah, it is. He does retain that, that core of players who... I was going to say he is loyal to them. They are loyal to him as well. That, 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 that's very much the vibe I get from, from Brackley. It is, a, it is a group of players who, and a manager who have implicit trust in one another. Um, he knows the way that he wants them to play. They know he, the way he wants them to play and they go out and do it. And it isn't the most spectacular, isn't the most eye-catching, but my goodness, it's produced results for Brackley Town over the last few years. Certainly has. So, in that uh, title race, just two points between the two sides. Now, admittedly, Gateshead do have a, an 18-goal better goal difference. Sitting in third place alone, really, uh, some nine points behind Brackley, uh, but eight points ahead of Kidderminster, is James Rose, AFC Fylde. And they had a, a tricky one to negotiate on Saturday away at um, playoff chasing Boston United. How did that one go, Dick? Yeah, it was. It ended up in a three-one win for FC Fylde, which, which, uh, looking at the table beforehand, my my gut instinct is that that Fylde are going to be the team finishing in third place. I I feel that the teams in fourth and fifth are, are almost certainties to remain there as well. But the the places in sixth and seventh are still up for grabs. Boston were one of those teams um, looking for one of those places. And I know Paul Cox, the Boston manager, had actually said we shouldn't be looking over our shoulders. We should be looking at Chorley ahead of us. Um, and saying, what can we do to catch them? Um, they, they disappointed on that score yesterday. As I say, they, they, they lost by oh, three goals to one to Fylde. Boston went ahead through a goal from Jake Wright, one of the two Jake Wrights they've got in their side. It was Jake Wright Jr. who scored that one. A Shane Byrne own goal levelled the scores in the 25th minute and then two second half goals from Sam Osborne took that one away from Boston. Goals in the 50th minute and then in the fifth minute of injury time. James Rose had a real impact since he went into Fylde as they've only suffered one defeat in the 10 games he's taken charge of the team. Seven wins and two draws. Um, and I say, I, I think probably the change came too late to, to, to throw them back into title contention, but they are almost absolute certainties for that third place now. All right, so just behind them, we mentioned uh, a Kidderminster Harriers. We'll, we'll look at this game in a little bit more detail in a while because it affects the bottom of the table too. But uh, uh, they drew one all at Blythe. And then you've got uh, Chorley and Kettering uh, making up the uh, playoff places. We've already covered the uh, Kettering game. But what about Chorley, Dickie? You've got to look at them firsthand. Um, it was defeat for Telford. If it, it was a game, I think, that, that ultimately... Um, Chorley would probably be glad that they got the three points out of that. Certainly the way that, that Telford manager Paul Carden felt afterwards when I spoke to him, he, he felt that Chorley would have been thrilled um, to get the 1-0 result given the way his team played in the second half. Um, it was a goal from Ollie Shenton in the 28th minute. I think when Telford just about thought they'd seen off a really fast start from Chorley, they just managed to come again one more time um, and conceded. But from that point onwards, I think Telford would probably the better side but that the, the respective um, levels of confidence and and uh, that inability to be clinical in the penalty area is what cost Telford in the end they had chances but they just couldn't put them away um, whereas Chorley ultimately took one of theirs and and and, and listeners uh, I can empathize with Dickie and Dickie can empathize with me because I know for a fact that he's doing exactly what I'm watching, what looks like it's going to be another defeat in front of me. And then I'm thinking, what's going on at? And I'm thinking, what's going on at Kings Lynn? And Dickie, you're thinking, what's going on at Geisley? Uh, well, yes, absolutely. Geisley was the one yesterday. I mean, it was it, Amongst it, 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 others, um, yeah. Yeah, it would have been a hugely entertaining and dramatic game at Geisley yesterday. There was a, a lengthy delay in that game, which meant that the Geisley game still hadn't finished once um, the Telford game had completed. And I actually spent a, a nervous few minutes refreshing flash scores on my phone with the Telford manager, Paul Garden, as he was waiting to see what, what score came through from that game. It was a sim- similar outcome, wasn't it? The, you know, the other team down there with you looked like they were going to win, but they were pegged back late on. Curzon Ashton, uh, Tom Pierce, the... Uh, uh, the, the former Ultra. 
Yes, and, and a former Telford player for a short spell of uh, time as well. If that goal proves to be decisive, I don't know, it might be giving him the, the freedom of the town or something like that. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it's a big disappointment for Geisley. They led through a, a six-minute goal from Adam Hoare, but then um, Hamza Ben-Sharif had to be stretched off the field. There, there's some, actually some photographs on Geisley's Twitter feed of him sporting a, a really big uh, swollen bump by his eye where I believe he was inadvertently caught by um, his own goalkeeper Owen Mason and attempting to punch the ball clear um, Ben Sharif uh, landed quite awkwardly went down um, had to be stretched off the field and that led to a lengthy delay um, hence why that game hadn't finished when all the others in the division had um, Alex Curran did level in the 73rd minute for Curzon but um, uh, there were going to be tears before bedtime for somebody and it was Dom Tia who scored two minutes later um, but then the, the, the tears um, were all guys at the end as Tom Pierce scored that 88th minute equaliser Curzon Ashton are, are safely in 14th place. They're not going anywhere. But Geisley could have pulled themselves level on points with Telford if they'd managed to hang on. But it remains a two-point gap. Yeah, and, and, and some nervous times lay ahead, obviously, for both those clubs. And not yet out of it are uh, Blythe Spartans and, and, and Farsley Celtic. We alluded to Blythe uh, managing to get a creditable one-all draw against Kidderminster. Um, Farsley Celtic, they went down 1-0 at Chester, Dickie. Any particular story? Yeah, the, the Blythe game is is the one with the, the I think the, the main story out of that one. Um, it is a, an awful long way up to, to to Blythe from Kidderminster, but they did break the trip up with a, a, an overnight stay, and they actually trained at Leeds United's training ground at Thorpe Arch on Friday as well. So Harriers were well prepared for this game. Um, they they led through a tenth minute Amari Morgan Smith goal. Um, then conceded to Toby Lees on the half hour, so it was one each. It looked like it was heading um, for a draw, and, and it did eventually finish a draw, but there was some late drama when uh, Harriers goalkeeper Luke Simpson was sent off for handling the ball outside his area in the 82nd minute. That might have given Blythe hope that they might be able to test standing goalkeeper Mark Carrington, but he stood firm for the last 10 minutes, and it finished one each, so that point keeps Blythe in 19th place. Four other games in the National League North, the highest scoring one uh, was uh, uh, Hereford, uh, Dickie, where um, Hereford and Bradford Park Avenue shared five goals. Yeah, they did. I mean, the remaining four games were, were largely speaking about the, the chase for the, the, the final two playoff places. We've mentioned Boston, we've mentioned Kettering. They're the teams in possession at the moment. But th- there are certainly other sides who still entertain outside chances of getting there. Um, Hereford, one of those teams, they had that 3-2 win over Bradford, as you say, um, roared into a three-goal lead by half-time goals from Luke Haynes, Harry Pinchard and Ryan McLean. But McLean was then dismissed in the first minute of the second half, reducing the balls to 10. Adam Nowakowski then cut the lead quite soon afterwards. Brad Doherty's 75th minute penalty meant he was very nervous in the last few minutes for Hereford, but they hang on and they remain just a couple of points behind in the playoff race. Um, York City, um, a, a similar story in that game in that there was a red card there. Uh, Tom Harrison from Gloucester City was sent off in the first half and it then took until the 80th minute for Michael Woods of York City to make the breakthrough against a, a very defiant Tigers team. Looked like it was going to finish 1-0 to York City, but in the 90th minute, um, a penalty was given away for a handball in the penalty area. Kevin Dawson converted from the spot and, and Gloucester took a point away, one that keeps York just outside of the playoffs. They do have their game in hand to play on Tuesday night, though, when they go to Chester. Southport and Spennymoor drew one all goals for Ramshaw and Woods in that game. And uh, one final game, uh, Leamington against Alfreton. Um, and uh, an own goal I saw in that one and a penalty. What was the story of that game, Dick? Yeah, I mean, uh, just touching, I mean, the Southport Spennymoor won a draw. That doesn't help either team. Uh, they both would have needed maximum points from that one to, to, to really um, uh, feel that they still have a chance of making those playoff positions. Um, as regards the Alfreton game, Alfreton have gone on a, on a, a really good run of late. Um, they're unbeaten in the last seven matches. They're five wins in those last seven. And this was their third in a row yesterday. It was a Connor Branson goal just before half time, and then a Jack Lane own goal midway through the second half that gave them a 2-0 lead. Dan Turner did uh, cut the deficit with a penalty for Lamington, but the breaks uh, failed in their attempts to stop the Reds. And yeah, Alfreton also have a game in hand. They host Curzon Ashton <laughs> on Tuesday night, where if, a, if they get a win and York City fail to win, um, Alfreton could overtake them for that seventh spot. Brilliant stuff, Dickie. Thank you very much for rounding that up beautifully as ever. 
And I did laugh quietly to myself, as you mentioned, the brakes. <laughs> I had to try and slip that one in. But uh, <laughs> Dickie, it's a pleasure, as always, to have you on. Uh, another another appearance for you. Do you know what? We're season four, episode 43, I think, today. And unlike a lot of other podcasts, we don't mention that very often. But my goodness me, um, we're, 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 we're not far off to episodes now. It's amazing, isn't it, how quickly it's gone? It absolutely is. I mean, I, I've lost count of what point, you know, I, I sort of came in. Obviously, I was a, um, a, a late, I think somebody else failed a late fitness test, enabling my selection one week. But uh, yeah, I, I've obviously done enough to impress the manager and stay in the side for the rest of the season. And a few more besides. <laughs> the, the only little footnote to that, listeners, is there is no manager. We're completely managerless. Dickie, you've become a real stalwart of the show. Have a good footballing week. Have we got any games midweek, Dickie, to look forward to? Um, I say I think there's there's a couple um, certainly in the north, and I mentioned there. I just have a look at the uh, the, the rest of the fixes and see if there are um, any coming up on Tuesday night. Wouldn't be surprised if there's um, something in the south. There is yes, Slough go to Concord Rangers on Tuesday night. Um, we've got four in the National League. Um, you'll obviously be at Bromley. Um, Notts County make their uh, trip to Dover, a fixture that I know that's been uh, postponed in the past. Uh, Southend entertain Boreham Wood and Wrexham travel to Weymouth. Um, you'd, you'd do well to imagine there'd be anything other than a, a Wrexham win there, but with Weymouth in need of the points, who knows? And you never know in the National League. That's the beauty of it. It's one of the reasons we love doing what we do, listeners. It's the most unpredictable. Uh, leagues play the theme tune.